millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a minute. We've got a very special episode of Film Chat for you today, and it is special because it exists. It's like the ontological argument for God, right? God exists because it'd be better for him to exist. Similarly, we exist. Yeah, not, <laughs> not so exactly the angle I was going for, but I think that's an excellent point. And I think that our listeners were previously being spoiled by this semi-regular drip feed of content. Um, and now they're getting what they deserve, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, once in a blue moon. And it's Christmas as well. So Merry Christmas. And uh, yeah, I would just wanted to kind of frame our episode firstly by saying my relationship to film has changed along with, you know, our, our podcasting habits. I've been going to the cinema less, you know, other aspects of my life. I'm a big shot politician now. Yeah. Um, so you'll also notice as well that a lot of what I say is going to be very guarded. I'll be giving a lot of half answers to questions that you ask me, and I'm going to be very evasive and slippery. But it means basically that I'm going to be going full Simon Mayo for this for this podcast. Right. Just I just yeah. want I'm I'm the sort of straight man, as it were, the kind of you know foil to. I assume you have re- retained all your expertise. You've kept up with all the latest hits and bangers. Absolutely. I have been busy turning my brain into absolute sludge in front of whatever the Disney factory has been kind of churning out. So most of the shit I watched has been, you know, has had a superhero in it somewhere, <laughs> you know, or Star Wars or whatnot. So that's really going to be my focus. No worries. And uh, you're going to have to bring the brains, you know. Sure, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, no worries. I was thinking of a, of a line about this, which is like, you know, my brows have gone from being high, like you're surprised, to being low, like you're frowning. Yeah. Is that... Is that a thing? Is that... You got a you got a big frowny <laughs> frown. Yeah, got a big frown about the film culture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. And I'm just sort of flabbergasted by it. Absolutely astonished. You're actually astonished because your brows are so high. Is yeah. that okay? Like, are you are you happy to take on that that role for me? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've seen most films. Good. Ever. Good. <laughs> Name one. I've probably seen yeah. it. Um, well, I can't. I don't. <laughs> oh, of course. I don't know their names anymore. Classic Mayo Panzer. 
Christmas, Christmas, Merry Christmas. Seasons greetings, goodwill to all men. Tinsel crackers, pine tree presents, mistletoe, park the herald angels, turkey baubles, mulled wine, Saint Nick, peace on earth. Brussels sprouts, wise men, Santa Claus, elves, shepherds, jingle bells, Christmas pudding, yuletide, Rudolph, stockings, chestnuts, snowmen, carols. Festive cheer to everyone, Christmas film chat has begun. So, uh, Danny, you put out the call to our friends and listeners which is a circular Venn diagram for the most part. <laughs> and um, and uh, for some correspondence, we've got a few few listeners in. Maybe we can kind of bounce this back and forth between us, take our, take our turns with that. Let's do it. The first person that commented was Georgia Mills, who says, Oh, good news! Best maybe, everything, everywhere, all at once. Also love Nick Cage meta romp, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Worst, Jurassic Park Dominion. Scariest trailer. Smile. Most disappointing. Thor, Love and Thunder. Most thought would hate but forced to like. Top Gun Maverick. Which is a regular regular attendee on his list. Top Gun Maverick is uh, really... A bit of a breakout hit, wasn't it? Surpassed some low expectations, perhaps. Yeah, grossed a billion worldwide, so doing well on that front. Mm. Did you see Top Gun Maverick? Oh, I've seen it. What's, your, s- what's your sort of snappy I, verdict? Okay, to give some context, I watched it the day after um, the Platinum Jubilee... So that's not too painful a memory for people to revisit. Platy jubes. <laughs> Platy jubes. Toppy mavs. Yeah. But before we knew Staty Fungus was down the line in the pipeline. <laughs> so Platy, Platy jubes. So I went, I was pretty hungover. It's a very... I can see why it's so successful because, you know, Tom Cruise is a bit of a maniac, so they shot in those planes and they're going very fast mm. and no CGI and stuff. It is a bit, a bit like how it's... You can't imagine Tom Cruise playing like a normal guy. Because he's such a sort of megawatt A-lister. I feel like the movie is a bit sort of made by aliens who sort of don't quite understand human beings. Like, I don't know how to put it exactly. It's like, it's so formulaic and by the numbers, but also kind of very sincere. Like, it's not winking at you, but in a way that's kind of charming. Like, Tom Cruise's idea of like a relationship is like, he sees someone at the bar and they smile and they're like, oh, remember the old times? And it's like, what, what old times? Who is this person? And that's just basically enough. But the planes do go really fast, so it's got that going for it. There's something I thought watching the trailer for this movie was a bit like... I, it, I felt a bit like watching Formula One or something. It's like, for a person who's into it, it's amazing. Yeah. But it's like, am I into watching planes fly around? I don't know. Well, did, it's... Did, did, did it do it for you? Well, sort of. I mean, it's kind of spectacular. It's all shown on IMAX and stuff, and the dogfights are cool. But what's quite funny about this one is because the first movie is like peak Reagan cinema, right? It's like the 80s... The Cold War's in full force. It's, you know, the, these are the fucking best of the best, and we're going to, you know, deal with the Ruskies or the Chinese or anybody who fucking comes near America. Yeah. And in this one, they're very keen to just, like, avoid any of that. So there's, like, the threat is so vague. It's like the enemy is building a base somewhere, like, and they have to, we have to deal with uh, whoever they may be. Yeah. And they're so some indeterminate ethnicity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... The whole, you know, the plot is about them training to do this mission to blow up, like, a base somewhere with some people for some reason. So it's, it's curiously kind of, like, low stakes, and it's more like a sort of hangout movie. 
I don't know. I was entertained. I don't quite get the sort of adulation. It does feel like made for men who wear bootcut jeans and listen to, you know, hard rock and stuff. And like like Georgia. Like Georgia, yeah. That's had a very accurate description of it. Yeah, but sort of spectacular uh, in, in its aerial sequences. All right. Good to know. Uh, we also got a message here from um, Jonathan at Hopun, who's, um, you know, great to see you're still on our radar. Thanks, Thank dude. you very much for You're the only for listener we have who we don't know personally, so... Yeah, the only one who the won't be one. on my, like, wedding, I invited my wedding or whatever. Well, maybe well, you will be. Maybe you will be. After this. <laughs> well, After this great showing. So he says, glad you're back for a bit. Best films, everything, everywhere, and RRR. And a special mention for Andor, even though not a film. Worst film, Bullet Train. So, so bad. Left hoping that the AI bots will help improve the quality of dialogue, because it couldn't be any worse. Hollywood failed to meet even its own low bar with everything undercooked. Batman, Marvel, and even Pixar setting new standards of meh. Prey and Maverick, not terrible, but new ways to re-excavate tired IPs. Looking forward to your acerbic appraisal of the year. Merry Christmas. That's nice. Oh, okay. So we got, we, he's more on your level with Maverick than a sort of, like, so-so. That's why he's of, coming to my wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, moving on. Jake Arnold. Hey, Jake. Hi, chaps. True, the best year ever for film chat. Hats off. Don't appreciate that, Jake. Okay, it's been it's been a tough year for everybody. Roasted, roasted, brutally roasted, brutally roasted on our podcast. Yeah. Why did I read it out? Anyway, yeah, yeah. I could have edited it out. Here goes my feedback for this year's filmic output, which is raw and unfiltered. Given I've not had the chance to listen to your hot takes and therefore adapt my opinion to be more in line with yours, for fear of your unrelenting wrath. This year, I loved Elvis. Sue me, it was phenomenal. Do your worst. I've not seen it, so. Oh, I can't believe like Elvis, that shit. Oh, you like Elvis too? It's phenomenal. Take your pick. Uh, Swimmers, incredible tale. Leans heavily on the sports cliche ending, but some wonderful acting and a story that everyone should hear. Top Gun Maverick, extreme bouts of motion sickness aside, it was hard to love it if you just open your arms and embrace it for what it is. Barbarian, just an insane amount of fun. Wish we'd seen it in the cinema, was truly exhausted after. The Stranger. Not one for the hard of hearing, nor the light-hearted, just a bleak story told very bleakly, and some cracking actors doing some cracking acting in dark and quiet spaces across rural Australia. This year I did not love The Lost City. This much talent should not be allowed to produce something so pants. The Bubble, as above, The Bubble is Bobbins. Dog, I mean it's not surprising you at all that any of these are shit, is it? Blonde, I thought it was truly horrid. I mean, that was arguably the point, because boy did she suffer, but maybe leave it a rest in actual peace. Amazing performance, though. Most I cried during a film this year, when I mistakenly watched Fast and Furious 6 for the second time, thinking it was the one where they send off Paul Walker at the end. I wept more after realising I had spent two and a half hours interviewing a Fast and Furious film I'd already seen than when I actually got around to watching the seventh one, where they do send him off. Best walk in a film? Jared Leto in The Little Things. He gets one stuff what I presume was a year of him crossing that walk but loses a star for the bit where his character says, Oh, poop, I made a boo-boo. I assume he has that accent in the film. <laughs> oh, yeah, poop, I made a boo-boo. Most fun watching a film, watching The Expendables with the subtitles on, sample text, loud grunting, loud grunting appears more regularly than actual dialogue. Please recommend some flicks for our new Saturday Scary series, where Emmy and I are catching up on decent horrors we've slept on over the last ten years. Off to winning start with Barbarian, The Mist, and The Cabin in the Woods. Keep up the good of sparse work and wish you all the best this festive period. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jake. That's a nice, uh, chunky, meaty long message that you've obviously spent some time writing. So thanks a lot for... Yeah. In terms of horror recommendations, my sort of go-to ones... 
would be um, The Wailing, the Korean film, and Raw, the French horror movie, both of which well, I think might have been the you know top topping film chat top tens of Christmas episodes past, but are both uh, top notch horror films. Danny, what do you what do you recommend? Yeah, those are both excellent choices. I um, also really like Doctor Sleep, the Shining Two movie, which I think part of my the reason I liked it because I went in with extremely low expectations, subterranean, but you know they couldn't they couldn't get lower. Why was I watching this film? <laughs> um, but it was great. I think Mike Flanagan's like a real talent, and all his horror movies of the decade have been really good. So go see Doctor Sleep, though. Like telling you it's good, you won't have the same experience that I did. So. Don't sleep. Shit. Watch it. If you want, if you want to waste your time. It's yeah. Maybe like it's so bad it's good. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, oh, you shouldn't watch it at all, Jake. Oh, don't watch Doctor Sleep. No, you won't like it at all. Our listeners are very susceptible to this kind of reverse psychology maneuver. Oh, don't send me twenty hundred billion pounds in (laughs) used notes. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, twenty hundred billion pounds. <laughs> Imagine the audio equipment we could buy for that. Imagine how oh. good our podcast would sound. Yeah, a man can dream. A man can dream. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So. We've missed a whole year of movie news, so I figured I could just fire some headlines at you and just get some like hot takes. Oh yeah, some instant reactions. Instant reactions. Instant reactions are a big thing, aren't they? They're yeah. a popular form of content, so I'll do that for you. I've got a few. Um, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> oh, I actually no, I know about that happening. Yeah, uh, great. It's just a great incident. I think I think it entertained us all. I think it was uh, an iconic moment. That was this year. Oh my god. Yeah. What a lot. That was unbelievable. What a long year. Um, Batgirl being cancelled by Warner Brothers. They already shot the film, they're never going to release it. And there's no Batgirl? But you know that I'm the one of us who loves superhero stuff. How you break my heart like that? That's tragic. That's my reaction. Um, did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? No, I don't think so. I believe that Harry Harry did not did not spit on him. My understanding of this is that he was looking for his, his glasses or something. No, Chris Pine was looking for his glasses and Harry was just, I don't know, just yucking it up, but not not actually um, expectorating. So, okay. that's a no. Um, Liam Hemsworth replacing Henry Cavill in The Witcher. I didn't know that. That's that's fresh news to me. Liam Hemsworth is the new he's the new Witcher. He's the new Witcher man. I don't know. I don't think so. I think Cavill's better. Bring back Cavill, <laughs> I think. Let's start, let's start the Bring Back Cavill campaign on that one. Uh, Lord of the Rings TV show, House of Dragon. Hot takes, please. Well, I haven't seen a single second of The House of the Dragon. I did watch a bit of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. I was a bit underwhelmed by it, and I didn't think that it was it was very good, to be honest. Um, Hugh Jackman's reprising his role as Wolverine in Death. Finally, Street. finally, thank God, he's back in the he's back in the vest. He's uh, got his, his hair's being gelled into uh, wolf style ears. Yeah, bring it on. He's definitely it's definitely what he should be doing and what we should be watching. Um, John Luke Goddard's death. Very sad. Poor John Luke. What an old legend and now he's dead awful yeah let's not get into that and finally um sean penn giving one of his oscars to Zelensky. i didn't know about that that's a new one is that real that's real yeah is it 
Because I feel like you could have slipped in a sort of made-up one to test. No, believe it or not, that's real. Like Sean Penn has such a parody. Well, of he dedicated it to. Zelensky. No, he gave an he gave, Oscar. Oh, he gave, one, gave of his, one of his old Oscars. Yeah, he's got two. He gave one to Zelensky, and he's like, "I want you to have it while you're." What's he gonna do? Sell it for missiles or something? Fuck nice. Put it in a cannon and fire it at the Russians. God, can you believe you're there on the battlefield, a Russian soldier conscripted? Something hits you. You look down. I am Sam, 2002. What the fuck? The poor mother of a and dead, like a fallen soldier, has to go. Has to go and has to go and ID her her son. And it's like I'm afraid he was killed by by Sean Penn's Oscar. Yeah. What did he get for milk? Or something? Yeah. Would you rather get killed by his Oscar for milk or his Oscar for <laughs> Mystic River? I guess his Oscar for Mystic River. Yeah. Because it seems like a less significant film, perhaps. So if you had to destroy one of them, maybe yeah. that one. Okay, fair enough. This is for you. No, Sean. Yes. <laughs> no. Please. That is yours. No, I I feel terrible outside. I just it's just a symbolic silly thing. Yes, but, but it's, I if but I know but if I know this is here with you. Then I'll then I'll feel better and stronger to, for the fight. It's so great, great honor, but, yeah. but until we will. When you when you win, bring it back to Malibu. Great, yes. great, okay. Because I'll feel okay. much better knowing there's a piece of me here. We have to win. <laughs> we have to win quick. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Were you left home alone this winter? Did you get scrooged over in business? Perhaps you thought you were in love. Actually, it was a nightmare before Christmas. Well, just forget about those gremlins, baby. You trade your places with a happier guy. Pop a film chat on and let your blues die hard. And you realize it's a wonderful life. So, Danny, we... We have heard a lot of our listeners' favourite films of the year, some of their worst films of the year, um, and uh, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. So we don't have kind of the top tens we've done in the past, mm. um, but we're just going to have a more kind of loose chat about things that we liked and things that we didn't. So do you want to give us some of your faves? I can give you some faves. Um, Maybe some snappy reviews. All right, so here's a few movies I thought were great. I really loved... Uh, Detain, which is the follow-up of, of Raw by director Julie Decano, won the Palm Door last year. It's probably best experience going in completely cold, but it's about an exotic dancer slash serial killer who's in love with a car, and it gets weirder from there. And uh, similar to Raw, what I liked about it is that it's really quite out there genre film, but the overall story is quite nice and touching. A bit like how Raw is like a sort of about sisterly love, but just has people eating each other in it. Uh, this one had a very kind of open-hearted story about the fluidity of identity. It's like, sure, your boyfriend's a cop, sure, whatever, anything goes. You know, people, you're whatever you want to be. You know, identity is just a fluid mass of ideas, and you just pick the ones that suit you. And that, plus scenes of horrific violence and weird sex, and just increasingly bizarre plot turns. Thought it was fucking great. So this is like the kind of anti-woke line about identify as a chair or whatever, but like yeah, exactly. done in an actually oh, progressive... God, if bloody Piers Morgan saw this, he'd just probably shit himself to death. Yeah. Um, I also loved Blee, Blee as in, uh, as in Fleeing a Country, which is an animated documentary by Danish director Jonas Poet Rasmussen. And it's centered around this interview with an Afghani man who uses the alias Armin, 
and it's narrating his life story about his family who got displaced because of this Soviet-Afghan war, end up in Russia, and are trying to get to Sweden where his older brother lives. And a lot of it's about people trafficking and trying to get out of like a situation that you have no control over. And it's just like incredibly moving, very effective, and like I was kind of thinking about like the animation, what it does, and like would this film work if it was live action recreation of scenes, or would it just be too horrific? And the animation is almost similar to Persepolis or Mouse or the Joe Seiko books, who did like Palestine and stuff. That sort of thing of like the animation gives you like space for your imagination almost. It's like makes it palatable because it's somewhat distanced from live action. And also easy to kind of empathize with. Like something about the simplicity of the drawings allows you to sort of imagine yourself in that position a bit more. And yeah, it really knocked me for six. I saw it like the LFF. And I watched yeah, it at the London Film Festival. The London Film Festival. And I was like, oh, that's a bit powerful. And then like, I went to the toilet and I just burst into tits. Wow. Like, and it was a bit weird because there was like a toilet attendant there. And he's like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I've seen like, an amazing I'm just, film. Sorry, I just, I'm just getting really emotional when I have to take a shit. I just... Oh, you heard of any of those movies? I didn't understand the words you just said. You were like... My brain doesn't operate that way anymore. Yeah. Um, to be honest, the only thing that I got really excited about this year that I watched was yeah. the TV show Andor. Yeah? Because <laughs> I saw some films that I liked. Mm. But but Andor. But... Disney Plus is Andor. <laughs> but Andor. Andor was kind of the most like gripped I've been by any kind of content basically I'm sure the films you cited which are like excellent you know yeah. would do that for me but um, but I haven't seen them and uh, and it was just the latest in the you know I was like spoon feed me your dross Disney let's go give me the latest and it turned out to be a surprisingly excellent film uh, sorry film TV show but to me it was a film it's like when it's like when Sight and Sound said that the Twin Peaks season 4 was the best film of the year like Andor for me was the best film of the year so for the unaware it's telling the story of Cassian Andor who was the roguish I guess most Han Solo-esque figure from Rogue One played by an actor whose name you're gonna remind me of Diego Luna Diego Luna and it's about his journey from being a kind of ne'er-do-well petty thief into being a kind of rebel hero, which is the beginning of Rogue One. It doesn't seem like an essential bit of storytelling, but it does a few things that really make it stand out. Firstly, it turns out that a pre-revolutionary era is actually very exciting. And they very deliberately, so it's sort of helmed by Tony Gilroy, who did The Bourne Legacy, and he did Michael Clayton, and he's done various other things. And he he has adopted a very kind of social scope. And he's clearly done some reading about how revolutions start. And he's kind of approached Andor, him and the other writers on the show, with a clear theory of what will kick off a revolution at this kind of social level. And they place Andor as a character kind of within this broader scheme of things. And a lot of the other characters in the film, oh, film, in the TV show, uh, who you follow, which is kind of putting the pieces together of this uh, sort of fomenting, like churning world of like tension bubbling up. But, but it does a very good job of telling kind of believable psychological stories as well, not just being about, you know, using people as kind of instruments for whatever your social kind of critique is. Yeah, it's just brilliant. I mean, I don't know if it's really been made with this kind of radical politics idea to it. But I think that the story, just by the nature of what it's about, feels radical because that's what a revolution is. You know, <laughs> it's like sure. it's about completely overturning the established order. Um, and I think we're very used to adventure stories, which are about 
individuals going from one situation of peril to another and then kind of learning about themselves by the end and and or is much more a story about you know the rising up of um, an entire society against their oppressors so it spends like a lot of time investing in like the nature of oppression and like what it actually feels like to be oppressed and it sort of made me realize watching it that in star wars the characters don't really feel particularly oppressed by the empire the empire is just a kind of danger that they have to kind of avoid in the same way as like whatever monsters or natural issues or whatever it's like now he's the stormtroopers that's dodge him Uh, and andor is much more this kind of ground level thing where you see you know when a stormtrooper turns up beside your door it's like oh shit and it really feels like this menacing thing and it gets into the nature of the imperial kind of gestapo and the kind of functionaries who fill it and their kind of ambitions and uh and that kind of stuff and yeah i would highly recommend it it's also got um, it's incredibly well made. Some of these Star Wars shows have been a bit ropey. Like Obi Wan Kenobi was a bit like the production values were not consistent. Well, here's the and thing that Andor, like, like looks amazing. That sort of uh, separates it from other productions. They don't shoot on that big volume that green the volume. screen. They yeah. shoot on location. You, know, you can tell. It just looks like it looks really good. I think it's one of probably the best looking show that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, definitely. And it also um, has an amazingly good soundtrack by Nicholas Britell. I think he's called the guy who did. Um, succession as well the succession theme tune and the music is such a huge part of the show like more so than normal i would say um and it uh, really does a lot to create the the mood of building tension that so much of the show is about so i really thought it was kind of firing all cylinders stella skarsgård who's done a lot of like not very rewarding roles including like a million marvel movies where he's the same kind of old scientist and uh he's got this really chewy kind of role with like big speeches and stuff and uh, they really sort of lent into like melodramatic long speeches in a way that I actually quite enjoyed it was like you know writers cracking their knuckles like you got a blank page it's like okay monologue time you know and uh, yeah I so that would for me was my highlight superhero films I feel like in 2022 there was like no hype anymore they used to be everywhere and like nothing really happened this year like there was the long Batman but like did anyone like care about that everyone sort of forgotten about that you know were there any big Marvel films like did, did anyone like any big Marvel films or anything like I just feel like it all went very quiet on that front this year um, and I want you to help me work out why thank you have a great New Year and Christmas and everything else. Bye. So Chris raises an interesting point. Is this the year that the superhero movie bubble burst? I don't know. I mean, one complicating factor is obviously the cinema still finding its feet in the post-COVID world. So I don't, I don't actually know. Do you know whether the box office numbers kind of 
um, translated to like the seeming lack of cultural impact or interest in the superhero genre, like with these flops or? Well, yeah, I guess it's just about creeps into this year, but Spider-Man, all the Spider-Men, yeah, grossed a shit ton of money, oh, like yeah, a billion. Yeah. So no way home. No way home. And Top Gun also did a billion worldwide box office. So it feels like you know the box office is back to. You know, if a if a movie grosses a billion, that surely is a sign, a good sign for the uh, cinema industry. But yeah, I was going to ask because you're you're the resident Marvel guy here. Oh, I, yeah, I'm yeah. you know watching my Tarkovsky retrospectives. You're like rewatching Iron Man or whatever you do. You know, is has Phase Four ended now? I think so. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think it has. Yeah. I mean, speaking as someone who hasn't watched a lot of those films, it feels <laughs> like Phase Four was a bit of a dud post post Avengers uh, Endgame. It's been like six movies or whatever. So I think I think a lot of what's going on is yeah you know, the superhero genre is kind of synonymous with Marvel, right? Yeah. Uh, so basically, there are other superhero movies that are being made, but they tend to be not very successful, and I don't know people are not interested in them. So it's really this kind of all-encompassing behemoth, and it's spread itself out very much into the world of streaming and television. So the tentpole Marvel releases are no longer like. I wouldn't necessarily distinguish in kind of cachet or like prestige or the intention you're supposed to pay towards them between the TV shows that you just watch on Disney Plus um, and the films that you go to see in the cinema. So I think that's kind of a, a different. It's almost like the hype or whatever is just dispersed. And it's like, how excited can you be when there's so much content that you're never lacking for a new thing to watch? There's like 14 different TV shows and the movie comes out. And it's like people just go into the cinema to see the latest one. You know, they're into it or they're not. I mean, in a way, it's like a logical extension of Marvel's brand of producing three-star quality things, you know, or like stuff that's never an absolute disaster where it's like, yeah, you know, it's, ne- it's low risk taking and you, know, you don't want to just disappoint too many people, but you also will never produce something that really grabs a lot of people's attention. Um, I mean, they did a bunch of things this year that were sort of interesting, but it's all like gets a bit lost in the kind of swamp of content, you know, so the uh, Ms. Marvel show, the Kamala Khan one, had a quite interesting exploration of kind of Pakistani American life and explored the history of the partition and that kind of thing. And all that stuff is like really, really cool. And I feel like the the impact of it then ends up somewhat being diluted in the huge river of um, content that they produce all the time and also in the the badly comped green screen and the adverts for other products that they kind of throw in there. So I don't know. I mean, perhaps it's just the inevitable endpoint of, you know, what, what are they going to do with a good thing? It's like bleed it till it's dry or whatever. Just pump it for all the dollars you can get out of it until people aren't going to watch them anymore. So that's kind of what's going on at Marvel and maybe they will just make so many TV shows and movies that people will just stop watching them and then they will give up and do something else I don't know but the, in terms of the like story of the face war thing like it was just nothing it was just like a million different characters you know they're building up to some future mega Avengers film but I yeah know. I think it was all terribly confusing you have to watch a lot of very bad nerdy YouTube videos to try to piece together what the hell's going on so not worth not worth the investment Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In, in that sense. Damn shame. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The lot is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So, Danny, one of the few non-Disney-made pieces of screen media I watched this year was a little film by the name of Avatar The Way of Water. So, a cool 14 years after Avatar came out and became the highest grossing movie of all time, James Cameron uh, has finally finished uh, turning all the little knobs and dials and getting all the effects correct and editing everything down. And he's ready to bring us a sequel to Avatar. It's called Avatar The Way of Water. It is three hours and 12 minutes long. And uh, it follows pretty much straight on. Well, there's a, there's like a year gap, but largely follows straight on from the end of the previous film. I won't be recapping it because I didn't look up what happened. So uh, I guess you don't need to. I didn't bother to check. But fundamentally, the, uh, the, the Na'vi um, of Pandora sort of repelled the invaders but then the invaders come back. And Jake Sully, he's a full Na'vi now, living in his big blue avatar body. And he's kind of like the chieftain uh, of the Na'vi. And he has a large number of children, possibly too many children, for the viewer to try to follow who's, who they all are. And uh, they have to fight off a new set of invaders. And the big thing is now that Colonel Quaritch, who perished previously, turns out he had a little an avatar version of himself cooking away that's been implanted with his memories so the standoff between these two titan- titanic heroes and villains from the first movie, you will now enjoy in the second movie, except um, he's a Na'vi now. They're both Na'vi instead of just one of them. Plus, it's a lot of water because they go to where the reef people live and there's a lot more fish. Here's a clip. Why do you come to us? The humans are returning. They're hunting us. You do not know the sea. We will learn your ways. If you want to live here, you have to ride. We must protect the people. Let's get it done. Avatar, the way of water. Experience it in 3D. Ready PG-13. Tickets on sale now. So, I can't say I was, you know, super excited to watch this film. Um, although probably the thing that piqued my interest the most is the way in which Avatar has perhaps undergone a couple of reappraisals since its initial release, where you know the kind of message for a long time was basically that it was hugely high grading but kind of forgettable and didn't have much of a cultural impact, and no one could remember the characters' names, and no one could cite any, a single line of dialogue. And then a little bit more time passed, and then people revisited again, and they're like, well, you know, maybe... Actually, this is a sort of tentpole blockbuster thing. It's maybe somewhat formulaic, but it is uh, still a kind of solid story. And when you compare it to the decade and a half of blockbusters that followed it, it was clearly enormously influential in terms of the kind of visual style and everything that came after. 
in addition to which it does tell a kind of anti-imperialist story and features a lot of uh, US soldiers getting completely destroyed by the natives that they're, they're trying to colonize, which, you know, you may find satisfying to watch depending on your political orientation. So, so I was like, well, you know, maybe Avatar's good. Avatar's good now, perhaps. So maybe the sequel will be good. Not that I've revisited the first movie, but no. Um, so I went in to watch it. And like, one of the things that I was thinking going in was like, well, they're not going to expect everyone to be super up on the end of the previous film because it's been so long. So I'm sure there will be some kind of resetting of the scene and then, you know, like they will start a new kind of story and it won't feel like you had to have watched the previous one or whatever. And I do not feel that this did that, basically. It was... <laughs> it basically has... It starts with basically a montage of various things happening and it skips to one year later. Jake Sully's got a bunch of children now. Uh, and it just kind of goes from there. And the whole movie felt to me like just a succession of stuff happening, which is largely the same as the original movie but recontextualized in a more sort of watery setting rather than in the kind of forest setting of the first film. And I think that James Cameron was very, very excited about incredibly realistic water CGI um, and cool looking monsters and sort of groundbreaking use of 3D and all this kind of thing. But I just did not get the story, did not you know engage me in the slightest. I was really expecting there to be this kind of similar nuts and bolts thing, uh, you know, that would... Because like the original Avatar, everyone was like, oh, it's just like Pocahontas or it's like these other kind of stories. But by those very comparisons, it kind of shows you that this is already an established formula that has kind of been shown to have worked on audiences. So you can at least follow the hook of the narrative. And this was very much just like the same, you know, the characters and they do more things now. But it wasn't really clear what the what the what the story was, like what the reason was for it. And it also has a kind of sequel bait ending because he wants to make, you know, three, four, five, six and so on. And it really kind of left me cold. Just three, four, five. Three, four, Let's sorry, don't go no mad. Six. All right, just three, four, five. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's three over three hours long, which is kind of wild. Sure. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I really didn't was not into it. How did you feel about Avatar two? I fucking love Avatar, man. No, um, I don't really disagree with any of your, any of your points because I think they're very apt. But I just say like I just generally sort of enjoyed it. I went on very low expectations, and I think I was entertained. Um, as you were saying, like the original Avatar was compared to Pocahontas, and it has like a very Disney movie structure. It's like man meets uh, the beautiful, innocent people, and then he, you know, he he goes as native as anyone can go. He literally just becomes them. It takes the dance of the wolf thing to like its logical extreme, right? Um, and what it reminded me of is like, I don't know if you've watched any of these movies, but in the 90s, there was this whole period of Disney making straight to video sequels of their big hits, which seems like a bizarre thing to do, but must have just worked out for the economy of the 90s. Where, like, you know, Aladdin 2 went to straight to video. There's a Lion King 2, but it's went straight to video. And these movies have like much worse animation, and the plots are always about the main couple's children. And the villain is always the villain from the first movie because you don't have to design a new character. And their motivation is revenge. So in some respects, it like it kind of follows the beats of a Disney cynical cash grab. But it's a it's a remarkably uncynical movie because it's James Cameron's passion project. And I, I quite enjoyed the sort of like ultra sincere tone of it. Like it has none of the 
I don't want you to call it like the Joss Whedon or the Marvel thing or people commenting on tropes or, you know, being a bit outside the thing. It's like, it's got very clunky dialogue, very stock characters, but I kind of found that slightly charming. You know, I can't say it was good dialogue, but some of the scenes are just, you know, there's a bit where he asks a whale, like, how's it going? And the whale, like, blinks once and the subtitle, like, it's been a, it's a painful memory. I don't want to talk about it. It comes up and it's like, how did he talk to that whale? How's this happening? And like a full hour of this movie is just like this sort of young blue guy kind of just vibing with a whale, and I kind of I gotta say I kind of enjoyed it. Like blink, blink once for yes, blink <laughs> twice for it's a painful memory. Yeah, exactly. And it is like astonishing to look at. Like, you know, we've had a decade of I think a lot of blockbusters with substandard CGI, and this one is genuinely like there are no dud shots in it. It's just it all it's all amazing. And you know, talking about sort of bag green screen comping there's like a sort of um human character just almost to make it more impressive it's like this is a human element interacting with all the cgi what it, the nerds are doing a fantastic job they've crunched the numbers and i also think even though the final act is this like overlong action sequence it's remarkable how clear it is i think the geography of all the action i knew what was going on uh it's been james cameron's just kind of bringing all that stuff I thought it was strange how Zoe Saldana's character was very sidelines, the sort of like yeah, I agree. hero mother character. She doesn't do anything. James Cameron's famous like you know thing slash kink is like warrior women, and this one maybe she's got a lot planned out for C three, four, and five or something. And that's definitely the weakest part of the movie is that like it felt like it was just resetting the board for another sequel, um, and it's way too long. And something that um, occurred to me afterwards. Um, two of the credited screenwriters is Rick Jaffer and Amanda Silver, and they wrote the most recent Planet of the Apes um, series. And I was like, that's kind of the franchise about the CGI people battling the US military with lots of like good ideas and well thought out characters and arcs. And this is like almost it's weird. It's that them in a way because it's a bit it's a bit like you know they became worse writers and are in a shitty franchise with the same ideas better cgi but everything else is the story is just like complete bobbins but i don't know there's a lot to enjoy if you just want to give over to james cameron i love fish vision i think there's a, a lot of entertainment value in the movie i enjoyed the man vibing with the whale yeah i guess like my other my other kind of gripe about the visuals is that the thing that is the most spectacular about them is the kind of fidelity and like the realism and it's like there's nothing like particularly spectacular about like blue people who are like nine foot tall but when you see a blue person who's nine foot tall interacting with you know human in a really like realistic way that's like amazing yeah but the overall kind of aesthetic of it i found to be just quite similar to like a david attenborough kind of documentary and it's like beautiful shots and there's even one shot in the movie of like one of the whales coming out of the the mm. sea in a way that looked a bit like the killer whale shot from planet earth that was quite famous yeah and uh and I think there are just limits to the, the like enjoyment to be had from something being really realistic because it always kind of rubs up against like why am I more impressed by the recreation of something real than I am just by a, someone just took a camera and filmed it for real, you know? It's mm -hmm. like when you see someone's blue hand, you know, interacting with water in a way that's like stunningly realistic and it's like, you know, every, we are in the future, like it's incredible that technology can do this, but it's like, visually is it more impressive than a human hand doing that you know what i mean like i i thought yeah the, the alien world is not to be alien yeah exactly exactly it's like the 
the sort of creative vision that is you know that you're getting out of all this like unbelievably well executed cgi is is not really doesn't have a bigger wow factor than like a nice nature documentary which is obviously kind of james cameron's thing like he loves the sea and he loves fish and he loves sea you know great i mean great good for you yeah (laughs) but um but uh, yeah i don't know i just felt like the spectacularly high quality of the cgi was not being met by kind of like the spectacle the spectacle itself which was just kind of like you know pretty basically that's how i felt a bit about it I did enjoy, I did, like, the final action sequence is, like, pretty cool. But that's also, like, another gripe, the gripe I have. Yeah. It's, like, why is the scale, like, the scope of the action of this movie is smaller than in the first movie, which I thought was a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. But the first movie is this civilizational clash between the invaders and the, you know, the natives of Pandora. This movie is a kind of small-scale kind of skirmish between Jake Sully and his family and the resurrected Avatar version of the bad guy from the first movie. He's, like trying to hunt him so the climax of this movie does not settle the big question of what's going on with the invasion whereas like the climax yeah. of the first movie did so i thought it was a bit odd like that the sequel is like small whereas like usually the sequel would be bigger you know yeah and like then, i think like, this is yeah the, the, the whole problem with the movie is like it doesn't really justify its own existence there's not enough of a story idea and i feel like maybe the four sequels may like they've either spread out too thin because it's like the end of the movie like He's in a relationship. They vanquished the humans. It's all good. It's like, what do you do in the sequel? It's like, they have kids. The humans come back. The humans come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The humans come back. He's got, he's got to fight them again. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's something funny about, like, I killed this guy. Now he's back as an avatar thing. So I'll fight him again. It's like, how many times will this guy die? Will exactly. You, they can know? just constantly just churn <laughs> him out. Like, they got him. They can print new, yeah, new yeah. versions of him. Yeah. I don't know. All right. That's Avatar 2. Christmas time in the film chat studio Danny's dressed like a reindeer Sam and Katie are covered in tinsel It's definitely Christmas in here What were your worsties of the year, Danny? What 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 left you really cold and really flat? What ground my gears? I have one pick, and it's one of the best-reviewed films of the year. Won the Palm d'Or. <laughs> Triangle of Sadness. Everyone loves it. Everyone is looking at the Emperor. And they're like, what lovely clothes he has. And I'm like, I can see the Emperor's dick. Mm-hmm. So it's written directed by Ruben Osland, who previously made The Square, which also won the Palm d'Or, and before that, Force Majeure. And um, it focuses on like a Modorna and his influencer girlfriend on a big luxury yacht. But there are also other characters there. Like One's a sort of tech billionaire. One's a sort of Russian oligarch type. There's like an elderly uh, British couple who are arms dealers. And it's about how uh, terrible these wealthy elites are, right? They're just complete arseholes. And I thought it was like an utterly toothless kind of bullshit, like purports to be a satire, but has like nothing to say other than like the rich are a bit silly and obnoxious. Very much in the frequently memed Chris Morris thing about uh, the performance for the court, you know, the people it's satirizing are the people who'd love this film. Yeah. And I hate it. I hate it. And part of my opinion is definitely, I saw it at the uh, London Film Festival in like a packed out screening and like I wasn't enjoying it. And the more people found it funny, the more entrenched I became in my own opinion that it wasn't very good. And something I found so irritating about it is that it's got this, uh, you know, making fun of the evil oligarchs and how despicable they are and how they, you know, 
there's a lot about them on the cruise ship and how the staff are there to like fulfill their every whim. But like the way them, I mean, do people care about spoilers? This movie's been out for a while, but basically, like the sort of the power dynamic of the ship like flips at one point. Uh, but then the actual way the movie concludes is kind of agreeing with the very viewpoint it sets out to satirize. Because the sort of capitalist mindset it's sort of talking about is the idea that, like, you know, the world is a terrible place, people are a certain way, and it's either, you know, play or be played, and human nature, you know, devolts to a thing where, like, you know, there's no such thing as human kindness or whatever. Everyone's just looking for their peace, right? That's the sort of attitude it's sort of satirizing. But then the conclusion of the film is like, no, that is, that is actually accurate. So it ends up just being like, what the fuck are you saying? And it's also... Sorry, sorry to rant at you here. Right away. The, because it's a comedy, so the way the kind of mode of the comedy is that like it has kind of two modes. One is that it's like an awkward situation that gets plays out like a bit longer than you expect, and it's a big one take, and like someone will say something awkward, and I'll just go and go and go until it sort of dissipates. And the other thing, which is the sort of stuff which is all the posters and the trailer, is it got this sort of scatological set piece. But I thought it was like really like poorly done, and. I mean, this is come back in two minutes if you want to avoid spoilers, but it's got this centerpiece comic set piece where all the guests get in their finery, sit down for dinner, but it's um, very choppy waters. So everyone gets seasick and they start, they serve all this delicious, you know, caviar and whatever, and they start like throwing up. So it's a bit like the, um, the diarrhea scene for Bridesmaids. Well, this is the thing, right? And so but the thing that, reason why the bridesmaid scene works is because, first of all, they, they kind of bury the lead that they've got food poisoning. Because the previous scene is all about kind of like class. And she's taken her to like a restaurant and like the snooty person doesn't like it. And it's about the difference between her friendship groups. So it's like it puts in the seed that they've got food poisoning. And then they're all kind of working class women who are dressed up the best dresses they're ever going to wear in their life. Right. They're in this sort of fancy boudoir. So and then it just like as a comic set piece, it builds and builds and builds. Whereas in Triangle of Sadness, of course they're dressed well because they're the 1%. Of course they get seasick because they're at fucking sea. So, like, I don't know what it's just saying. It's like sometimes uh, if you go to sea, you get seasick, but it's funny because they're super rich. It's just like, let's smear some shit on those rich people. Yeah, yeah. And watch them have stuff on them. Yeah, and it's sort of annoying because, like, a film like Bridesmaids would never win the Palm Door because it's not, it's not saying something. But this movie isn't saying something, and it's satire. Not, that's you know, if you can call it satire, it's not to make a point or expose some hypocrisy about society. It's there as like a status symbol to prove how smart the director is and how smart the audience is. And it's a film for people who laugh extra loud to make sure you know that they got the joke. And I just found it internal. And the more people tell me it's good, the more I just fucking despise it. You know, it's a film made for and about and for. People who should be guillotined. <laughs> the problem is that I think we've got used to a kind of satire which essentially placates the court. You do a nice dissection of the way things are in the orthodox elite, and lo and behold, you get slapped on the back by the orthodox elite who say, jolly good, can you do us another one? That's not what it's about. So in a way, these times should bring on something with a bit more clout. When Sam Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? Film Chat. When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? Film Chat. And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? Film Chat. And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, 
which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Paul's looking forward to you. Yeah, do you have anything you're looking forward to? Well, as of today, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next Mission Impossible movie. You're really fulfilling your yeah. like, role as like... the mayor. I'm, I'm the mayor. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Because uh, just the... It's Tom Cruise posted on Twitter is, uh, you know, his latest daring do. Yeah. And um, it's like a bit where he sort of drives a motorcycle off a ramp and then like base jumps. I mean, it looked like they put a lot of effort into that one shot. They got a whole extra movie to make as well. Yeah. Know? And you watch this kind of behind the scenes thing and it's like, it looks like as much effort as it would take to make a film, but yeah. they're just making it for one shot. Yeah. And it's like, well, they actually have to make a whole extra film around this. Poof. Impressive. Yeah. And Tom Cruise's dedication to his, uh, you know, wacky extreme stunts is unabated and remains pretty entertaining. Sure. So, um, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he's doing. And I, I'm, I've really enjoyed the last few entries in the Mission Impossible franchise. I thought Rogue Nation and Fallout that were both really good. Do you think it's gone up a gear since Macquarie? Yeah, Christopher Macquarie. Yeah. Well, they found a good thing and they're kind of hammering away at it. I mean... Born onwards, it's all about the stunts, right? Yeah. The first three, they're trying to make sort of actual films, but now they're like, it's all about, it's all about the, the It's all about the stunts. There are, I think there are worse things to do with your blockbuster experience than make it like going to Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah. You just want to see people execute things that are really difficult to do in spectacular fashion. And that's, you know, that's a decent blockbuster experience. You sure. Know? You come away thinking, how do they accomplish that? So, um, so I'm excited for that. I feel like I've picked like ones which are just like comically like highbrow now. <laughs> good, good. Alright, so there's two films I recommend. I saw both of these at the London Film Festival, but they're coming out next year in the UK. So you're looking forward to them, but you can all, you've already seen them, so you yeah, can yeah. already say they're good. The first one is called uh, Passive Fiction. It's by uh, director Albert Serra. He's made a few movies. He's a Catalonian director. I saw, I saw him, like, introduced the movie at the London Film Festival, and he was, like, a sort of parody of a European director. He, like, came out, like, slightly shambolic. He's like... Can't do a Catalonian accent, but it's like this movie. I think you're gonna enjoy it because they say it's my best one, but it's very long, so that's bad. But you know, this movie you can't watch it at home because you have to see it in the cinema. So I think you'll enjoy that, and uh, be back at the end. And uh, any questions, like, whatever. He, he sounds like a chess player in the post-match analysis. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I don't know. You know, it was difficult. I did what I could. And uh, the film is about this French diplomat in Tahiti. And he's like a sort of smooth-talking operator, just sort of knows everybody. And there's a rumor that there is a French submarine like off the coast that's going to start um, testing nuclear weapons, which they did before, which caused cancer in the population like two decades ago, which is a historical fact. And it's this sort of two-and-a-half-hour like fever dream. If I talk about it, it just sounds like an absolute parody of an artist. I was like, it's extremely long. I had no idea what was going on, right? I, I sort of knew there's like this sort of teasing like plot of him trying to work out what's going on, like meeting people. Apparently, he shot the film with three cameras simultaneously. He just fed the, the actor like in an earpiece, like lines. He didn't have any scripts, wow. and he just like went into like an editing bunker that played all the footage at the same time and just picked the shots he thought were good. Well, that sounds ridiculous. Pure, that sounds ridiculous. Pure vibes filmmaking. <laughs> Why wouldn't you Ab decide ahead of time? Absolutely, because you're not a genius. Okay, I'm sorry, it's not fucking Black Panther nine, Sam. Okay, this is real. This is real cinema. Okay, right. 
And I thought it was uh, absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Right. I just you got to give yourself over to the movie. What was it called? Uh, Pacifiction. It was also the number one film in Kaya de Cinema, the you know the French, the snootiest French uh, film journal. So mm. uh, that's excellent. And the other movie I thought was absolutely brilliant. You should check out it was Almost Beauty and Bloodshed, which is Laura Poitras' new documentary. Uh, she did Citizen Four and some other things, sort of journalist documentary filmmaker type. And uh, this documentary is about the artist and activist Nan Golden, who is um, famous for, uh, she's a photographer, and she documented the AIDS crisis in New York and was like part of the sort of LGBT kind of queer subculture of New York in the 70s and 80s and so on. And the spine of the movie is about her work with her organization PAIN, which is Prescription Addiction Intervention Now, which is an advocacy organization she founded in response to the opioid crisis and specifically targeting the Sackler family who manufactured and distributed the drug OxyContin through their corporation, uh, Purdue Pharma. And they were guilty of a lot of, um, do we call it like image washing by um, putting their name on a lot of galleries. And her thing was like to dirty up their image and like sort of put them to task. And it's, yeah, just uh, a brilliantly put together documentary, very moving. And uh, yeah, she's a formidable figure. And I think the film did a really good job of like etching her without like... Putting her on a pedestal. Exactly. I don't know. Documentaries by their nature, you like, it's only two hours, right? Like, how do you show someone without being reductive and without seeming like you're leaving too much to just, you're not doing your job if you're not showing enough of them? But I thought they'd like really judged the tone and like how much information they included. Sounds so great. I would check it out. Can we get the yeah. title again? Uh, All This Beauty and Bloodshed. So, yeah, when you're in the queue for Mission Impossible 9 or whatever, and uh, whatever children's movie you're watching, I'd like you, to you the might the ninth film in, 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 the, in the franchise. <laughs> yeah. That's when they hit their stride. Yeah, well, they're going up to eight, right? So nine, there's never going to be a nine, right? They're going to, it's going to capping at eight, right? Well, we'll dead, see. Dead Reckoning. I'll be back. Dead Reckoning, yeah. So the best thing you saw at the hand or the <laughs> film you're most looking forward to is Mission Impossible yeah. 7. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen, okay. we're seeing the birth of our, the future of our podcast here. I think that all great duos are kind of built on contrast, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm using every ounce of my brain to do other stuff, you know? Sure. I'm, I'm out there doing endless meetings. You'll like, find a good order. fight. You're having dinners with lobbyists. You're, you know, doing co- cocaine with, like, Liz Truss. I'm doing... I'm doing uh, you're subbing uh, Liz Truss, right? You and Quasi at the sex parties, whatever you do with your life, like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you've got me... You've got my life as a local counsellor kind of down. <laughs> so you'll understand that I mainly use film and television for escapism now. Sure. And I don't want to sit down for my two and a half hours of fever dream. Like, <laughs> sure. My my life. All the, listen, Danny. Right? Yeah. I'm already. I'm I'm living a feverish dream of an existence. Just you, trying to answer all my fucking emails. I get it. You know, a hard yeah. day work. You know, condoning fracking or whatever you do, and you're like, I don't want to watch this boring. Condoning, <laughs> <laughs> condoning fracking. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of that. Aiding and abetting the fracking that's that's happening. I read there's a lot of fracking going <laughs> on. There's a lot of fracking. Getting yeah. Kennington. Well, there wasn't. There wasn't much fracking happening, but since I've become a local councillor, the amount of fracking in my ward has just shot up to just extraordinary amounts. Two things have gone up. Homelessness and fracking. Yeah, good luck solving the problems of the day without the use of shale gas, Danny. Let's see what you're going to do. I'm bringing great wealth to my area. Um, anyway. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. Look, it's been a pleasure. It's been a while. It's been great. It's been great to hang out. It's been great to do this. Thanks again to all the people who wrote in. I really, you know, given our, you know, somewhat dead status of the podcast, 
<laughs> Somewhat. Dave's status. So given the cadaver-like status of this podcast, yeah, the fact yeah. that people uh, responded to our call-out, it's very encouraging. It's great it's to see. Stable. It's great to see. We've got the basis for the future here and sort of bumbling idiot on doesn't know what films are anymore. You know, you're the expert trying to like put, put up with me. It's going to yeah. be great. And uh, yeah, we will we will see you all in the new year and to play us out the uh, trailer for Ant and the Wasp Quantumania. <laughs> Merry Christmas! My name is Scott Lang. I used to be just just a regular regular fellow. Then one day, I, I, I became very small. Very small. I became the size of an itty bitty ant. Now, with my family and, uh, and other characters, I must travel to, to the quantum realm. God damn it. Things are the wrong size down here. Jesus Christ, some things are small. Other things are way too big. You know, it's it's, it's all it's all relative. Uh look at the size of that thing. Fuck me, God, it's so big. Oh, <coughs> <coughs> uh, where was I? Uh, no, it's the guy from the previous film I didn't see. Uh mysteries abound. Where is this franchise going? Sweet Christ and a Kardashian. Oh, a, a brilliant new vista. Lights. Lights and colors. Whoa. No way. Oh, la, da, 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 da. No, no, no. Yes. Well, this end don't quit. This guy. Time to get into my ant suit. Into my little ant car. Put on my little ant booties and my little ant gloves. It's time to become the Ant Man! Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.